0: Thank you. Oh, what a wonderful hymn of the faith that is. I didn't know it had 11 verses. Wow. We had four of them there, didn't we, Brother Alvin? I think there was four we sang, wasn't there? Yeah, and there's uh, seven more to go. (laughs) Wow. Well, let's take our Bibles uh, tonight and open up to the book of Psalms. Psalm 19. Psalm number 19. Psalm number 19. And um, I'd like to invite you to stand with me. We'll read one verse only, and we're going to have a word of prayer. You know, every so often someone raises the question about whether the Bible that we have is perfect or whether it has errors in it. Let's read together verse number 7 of Psalm 19. Let's read verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Our Heavenly Father, help us to answer this question in our hearts tonight. Lord, we, we thank you so much for the Bible. We just can't get enough of it. And we praise you for this marvelous living book. Please educate our hearts and our minds tonight. Increase our faith in what it is you've given us, Lord. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, uh, is our Bible a perfect Bible? That's the message tonight. Now, in answering this question, I believe there are two important truths that we need to consider about any book. Number one is authors of books write as good as they can because they know others are going to read what they've written so that's in truth number one truth number two is a book cannot be greater than the ability of the author to write it a book cannot rise above uh, the ability of the author now basically what this means is that typically speaking a plumber or plumbers are not able to write with authority on the subject of electricity, Uh, nor are electricians typically able to write with authority on the subject of water flow and proper waste sanitation. We begin with uh, who wrote the Bible, and for this we're going to go to the New Testament, to 2 Peter. Let's all turn there. 2 Peter, near the end of the New Testament. We begin with the question who wrote the Bible? And I propose to you tonight that the Bible answers that question. The Bible claims to be written by God Himself. So let's look at Second Peter Chapter two. Second Peter Chapter two. Second uh, Peter chapter one, pardon me. 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, if you look, please, at the end of the chapter, Peter speaks uh, in verse 19, saying, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecies, talking about the scriptures now, came not in old time by the will of man. So at no time was the scripture written by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And uh, all uh, conservative theologians will tell you right here that this verse means God moved on the hearts of holy men who wrote what he told them to write. So the idea is God wrote the Bible. Now, we've learned a couple of things here so far. Number one, in Psalm 19, verse 7, it says the law of the Lord is what? Perfect. And uh, here in 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 21, uh, it says that the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the what? Holy Ghost. And of course, that is God. And so we've learned a couple of truths here. Now, what do many unsaved people think of the Bible? Well, to summarize, many today say that the Bible is a book of errors, a book of fairy tales, and is not meant to be taken literally. Now, I suggest to you that they say this because they do not understand the Bible. If someone does not understand a book, It'll make little to no sense to them. It's like a plumber not understanding a book written by an electrician. Now for this, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and we'll read together verse 14. Keep your seats as we read 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Let's read together But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned And so we learn from this verse that unsaved people cannot understand the Bible. Even though they may call themselves Christian, they may call themselves religious, they may be part of a religious denomination uh, in which they claim even to know the, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek. If they are not saved, they do not understand the Bible. Next time you're talking to someone who is not saved, you need to remind yourself that they do not understand the Bible. So that's important. This is the third truth we've learned here tonight. The first truth is in Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? Say it with me. The law of the Lord is perfect. That's important word. We've also learned that uh, holy men of God spake as they were moved by what? The Holy Ghost. So it was God who wrote the Bible. Here we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 that unsaved men cannot understand the Bible. Now remember, Psalm 19, verse 7 teaches us that the Bible is perfect. It uses that word "perfect." The law of the Lord is perfect. The word "law" there is uh, used in um, kind of a generic sense in reference to the Scripture. But uh, I suggest to you that all Scripture, anything that God has written, is perfect. And so, uh, Psalm 19:7 teaches us the Bible is perfect. We know that unsaved people do not understand the Bible, and so they will uh, accuse the Bible of being a book of fairy tales or a, a book full of errors or, or old passé knowledge or something no longer applicable for modern man. That's the mind of the unsaved. But what about Christian people, men and women, young and old, who are saved, born again, they're on their way to heaven? Do they, do all Christians believe that the Bible we have today is perfect? I suggest to you that many Christian people say that the Bible today has some errors in it and some omissions. There are little things that we cannot know for sure. They say that the Bible, listen to this, was perfect when it was originally given to man. But as man made copies of the Bible and then copies of copies and then copies of copies of copies, errors crept in until we have what we have today is an imperfect Bible that contains both errors and omissions. Now, what I've just told you is actually the official doctrinal position of many Bible colleges and many churches today. And if you all you have to do is go on their website and look up their doctrine what do they believe about the bible and watch and you'll see that many of them will say we believe that the bible the 66 books of the word of god uh, are perfect as originally given and this is what they mean they're saying that when god first gave the scriptures to men it was absolutely perfect But over the thousands of years, as copies were made and copies of copies, eh, it's inevitable. Little errors creep in, and so you have problems in the Bible and things you just can't understand because who knows, you know, if this should be in there or that should be. We've got modern versions today that what they actually do is remove verses from the Bible. And so if you're reading in your King James Bible and they're reading in their modern translation, all of a sudden you'll be reading scripture that's not in their Bible. That's the situation that we have today. But when you think about this belief... Their belief, their doctrinal position is that the Bible as originally given was perfect. When you consider that belief, and since no one has ever seen those original writings, they're all gone, God made sure that they've evaporated, they got used up, they got worn out, and that's what happens, by the way, with a good Bible. You have a Bible for a number of years, and you're using it, you bring it to church with you, you you hold it tight, you open it up and close, it many thousands of times. You make notes in it. You underline things. You'll find that after a number of years, the binding starts to give away. Before you know it, a page will come out. Perhaps as you're going through the pages, maybe a page will tear and you'll go, oh, oh," maybe put a piece of scotch tape on it. Over a number of years, that Bible will literally wear itself out as you use it and use it and the day may come you have to uh, say goodbye to an old friend and get a new bible because your old bible now is missing pieces and you know you you can't read it as good as you used to so you get a new bible you may need a large print bible by that time uh, but listen, no one has ever seen those original first writings that the prophets made when holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost and they took a, uh, a, ink and they, a pen and ink and they took a parchment and they started writing what God told them to write. What happened to those original writings? We call them the manuscripts. What happened to the original manuscripts? They're gone, folks. They do not exist anymore. They're gone. And no one for thousands of years has ever laid eyes on them. They are absolutely gone. Well, what do we have today? We have copies. That's what we have. And we've got copies of copies. And so for someone to say that as they were originally given, they were perfect... But, you know, problems happened. How do, how do they know they were perfect? Since no one was there when they were originally given. This is all hearsay. How do we know they're perfect? You know, that's a good question. That kind of reasoning would uh, quickly, in a, a court of law, would show up the flaws. Here you are, witness, a witness on the stand, and you believe that it was absolutely perfect. Yes. Have you ever seen a copy of it? No. Do you know one who's ever seen a copy do you have a friend who's no do you have a photograph a picture of these original no well then how do you know they're perfect if you've never seen one if you don't have a copy I mean a a picture of one you you don't even have a friend that's had firsthand uh, evidence of this you've just been told that they're perfect is that it Now, you're dismissed. (laughs) That wouldn't hold up in a court of law. To say that the scripture is absolutely perfect as it was originally given. But now what we have is kind of a flawed copy. You know, I don't think anyone would want a flawed copy of the Bible, do you? Can you imagine uh, that uh, maybe the original men, what about this? How do we know that the original men, the holy men of God, how do we know that they got it right? when God told them to write something and they wrote something, how do we know that what they wrote was perfect? Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe God said to them, oh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write exactly what I say. And the holy men say, yes, sir, Lord, uh, speak for thy servant here. And their pen is all ready. What, what, what do you want me to, to do here, Lord? And, and God says, okay, I want you to write 26 sheep. And what God says is 20 S-I-X, 26 sheep, only they heard 26, S-I-C-K. So how do you know they didn't write 26 sheep instead of 26 sheep? You see the difference? God wanted 26 sheep. They wrote 26 sheep because they thought they heard God say 26 sheep. And so that's what they wrote. How do you know that those original holy men, because they were human, there's no perfect human, how do you know that they got it right? You see the craziness of this? To say, well, we believe that in the originals it was absolutely perfect. How do you know that? How do you know that when you weren't there? You don't, you don't have the originals. You've never seen the original. You've never seen a picture of the original. You don't even know anyone who's seen, a, a copy, uh, seen the original or seen a picture of it. It's all hearsay, hearsay. So how do you know that those first men got it right? You see the logic in that? And so you see how this gets muddy. But the Bible itself says the Bible is perfect. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Now, that word is important. It's in the Bible numerous times. The real question today, though, I believe, is not whether God wrote a perfect Bible, because I think that most Christians would believe that at some point when God gave the Scriptures, it was perfect. But I think that the question today is, did God supernaturally keep the Bible perfect? Is it perfect today? That's where the battle is. Did he or didn't he? The Bible that you and I hold in our hands. Is it a perfect Bible? Or are there errors and mistakes in there? And so I think this is the real question. Now, if this is not a perfect Bible, if there's errors in here, and you go through the Bible, you're reading through the Bible, and you find a prayer promise. You find a promise in the Word of God. And so you go and get alone with God and you want to pray this prayer promise back to God. Does the Holy Spirit have to keep reminding you? Does the Holy Spirit have to keep whispering to your heart? Now don't get too excited now because this Bible has a few errors in it. Now, now, just want you to know, don't want you to, you know, go off on a tangent here, but the Bible does have a few errors, so cool your jets, don't get too excited. You know, if, if you pray this and God never answers it, you have to understand that because there's errors in the Bible. Is that what the Holy Spirit has to do? When you go to to God in prayer, does the Holy Spirit have to assure your heart that there's errors in the Bible? Is that what the Holy Spirit has to do to your heart? What does the Holy Spirit do in your heart when you're praying uh, about the Bible? What does the Holy Spirit do in your heart when you find a, a prayer promise? Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And does the Holy Spirit say, Now put the brakes on here, kiddo. You know, that may not be exactly what God said. So... Don't be too surprised if you don't get an answer. Is that what the Holy Spirit has to do? Because, boy, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Isn't that insane to think that the Holy Spirit would have to do something like that? Now, book uh, authors often go to book signings. So you get a, an author, and he's written a, a big book, and they want to promote it, and they have a, um, a, a book signing, and it'll be in a large public place, and people will come, and they'll gather, and they'll get in line to buy a copy of the book and have it authored, or signed by the author, and they'll, they'll stand in line for a long time. Politicians that are out of office, they like to write books. Uh, Hillary Clinton just wrote one. And sure enough, uh, she was sitting at the table and this big long lineup of people coming with her book that they, they would have paid $25, $35 for, it, and then to have her sign it in the front. They wait a long time to do that. Can you think of this? Can you imagine this? Supposing that you went and bought a book by a famous author, famous author world famous author and you uh, you have this book you paid $35 for it and you're waiting in line and you're moving up slowly at a, one at a time and there's the author there and you're waving at him and he's looking at you and nodding and you get right up there and you open it up and you say could you please could you please make it out to to my my dearest friend John Doe that's me sir that could you could you sign that and the author says i'd be happy to now by the way um, this book, the contents of this book, is not exactly what I wrote. Not everything in this book is what I had to say. You see, when I sent my, my uh, uh, typewritten papers to the publisher, they made some mistakes, and they didn't write down, they didn't transfer into the computer exactly what I wrote. So not everything in this book is, comes from me. There's errors and omissions in it. Just want you to know that. Well, I think a lot of people would take the book back and get their money back. No one would want to buy a book like that if the book has errors and omissions in it. And what kind of Bible would we have if it had errors and omissions? If God had to say, now, don't get too excited. It's a good book, and there's lots of good truths in there. But just remember this, that there's a few errors and omissions in that book. Well, where are they, Lord? Well, I'm not going to tell you that. You'll just have to kind of take a guess and figure it out on your own. But not everything that glitters is gold. You'd say, oh boy, I think I'm in trouble. I'd like to remind you again of two important truths that we need to consider about any book. Number one, authors of books write as good as they can because they know that others will read what they've written. Does that make sense? Yes or no? Yes, okay, you can nod or something. So when a human author has written his best masterpiece, at that time he can sit back and he can say it's perfect because it's the very best he's able to do. When a human artist uh, finishes his best masterpiece, he's able to sit back and look at it and say it's perfect because it's the very best he can do when a chef finishes his best masterpiece, he too can stand back and look at it and say, it's perfect, because it's the very best that he can do. My wife's grandfather, do I have that right? Was a baker over in the old country. And the man was not just a baker, he was a perfectionist baker. And he baked cakes and did all of the, uh, the scroll work with the, uh, the sugar stuff. This was old technology, and the man was like a Michelangelo. He was an absolute perfectionist, and he would be working for hours and hours on these cakes and things to make them absolutely the most perfect sight that, that eye has ever seen or ear heard <laughs> through that in. But if it wasn't perfect what he would do is watch closely. This is what he would do. He'd go, ah, and he'd throw the thing off the table. His dear wife, in order to salvage the business from going bankrupt, would throw herself headlong like a football player and catch this thing before it would hit the floor. And then she'd put it on the, uh, the fire sale rack or something, you know, the discounted, the uh, bin to try and, you know, recoup some of the costs. But the man apparently was an unbelievably good baker and cake maker. And he was as perfect, as perfect, as perfect could be. That was the work he wanted. And when he would finish something, I'm sure he would stand back and say, it's perfect. And so when God Almighty finished writing his masterpiece that we call the Bible, I believe that he can sit back and he can say it's perfect because it's his very best work and God wouldn't give us anything less. Don't you think? Amen. By the way, the people who think that errors crept in, you can start back with the writings of Moses or even the book of Job, which is the oldest book they say in the Bible. And uh, copies were made and people said, oh, look, the, there's something not right here because it's, it's a little different from that, that copy. Don't you think that even humans would say, let's learn from our mistakes so that errors like this don't happen again. So don't you think, doesn't it even make any sense that if men were introducing errors into God's masterpiece, God would have said, Oh, uh, I'll do something to stop that from happening again. How often do you repeat the same mistakes over and over and over and over and over? How often? Not too often, I hope. You try and learn from the mistakes, don't you? Right. Those of you who use hammer and nails, And you tap, tap, thunk. Oh, oh, ooh. You hit your thumb. Oh. And so now you hold the nail with two fingers instead of a forefinger and thumb and clunk, 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 clunk and whack. Oh. So now you're going to hold the nail with these fingers somehow and clunk, clunk, whack. Oh. My son's a carpenter. Go count his fingers after service there and see how, how many mistakes he's made till, you know, he learns from his mistakes. Hey, I'll tell you something. Many years ago, back in Ottawa, we were putting up a church building. Yours truly was doing some roofing. I said, <clears throat> I think I can handle this. And I'm up on a roof. I'm not a roofer. I'm up on a roof, and I'm trying to hammer in these uh, little roofing nails. Well, I turned my thumb blue, from hitting it so much. And for months and months, that thumb was blue. It took months and months to heal that, that thumb from all of the times it got a whacking from the hammer. I still have that hammer today. I still have that thumb today too, by the way. I remind you of these two important truths that authors of books write as good as they can because they know others will be reading. And if human authors can write great books and stand back and say, it's perfect, I believe God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, is able to write a book and stand back and say, it's perfect. So that's truth number one. Truth number two is that a book cannot be greater than the ability of the author to write it. Another way it's put is water rises no higher than its source, at least on its own. Great books are written by authors who spend lifetimes becoming experts on subjects before they write about it. And so in answering our question about whether the Bible is perfect or not, we need to examine the author of the Bible. Now for this, let's take a minute or two and we'll just look at a couple of scriptures. We'll go back to the Old Testament. We'll go back to the Old Testament and we're going to read uh, in 2 Samuel so 2 Samuel chapter 22 2 Samuel 22 let's learn something about the author of the Bible 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 31. All right, Let's read that verse out loud together. Do you all have it? Second Samuel 22: 31. Let's read together. "As for God, His way is perfect the word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Now, what I'd like you to notice here, it says, as for God, his way is perfect. And that means God's ways are perfect. They're not imperfect. They're not almost perfect. They are perfect. So I ask you, um, what here have we learned? God's, what is perfect? God's Ways are perfect, correct. Now, let's go back to the New Testament and we'll go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, in chapter 12. Now, we've just learned that God's way is perfect. Romans, in chapter 12. And we're going to let our eyes rest on verse 2. Romans 12, and verse 2. And again, I'd ask you to read it out loud. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so what do we learn about the will of God here? It is what? Perfect. What do we learn about the way of God? It is what? Perfect. So we've learned his way is perfect. We learn that his will is perfect. Perfect. Whatever God wills, remember Jesus taught us one of the greatest prayers ever to pray, thy will be done. Be, why? Because God's way, will is perfect. His way is perfect. His will is perfect. Now if you'll go just past Hebrews to the book of James and go to chapter 1. James chapter 1. James and chapter 1. AND PLEASE LOOK AT VERSE NUMBER 17, JAMES 1, 17, CHAPTER 1 OF JAMES, VERSE 17, AND AGAIN READ IT OUT LOUD NOW WITH ME TOGETHER every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning and so here we learn something else is perfect and what is it in verse 17 that's perfect god's what begins with the letter g gifts his gifts are perfect what did we first learn the first thing we learned was what his Way is perfect. The second thing we learned is his will is perfect. The third thing we learned is his gifts are perfect. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, and the very last verse of that chapter, verse 48. Verse 48, read it out loud with me, please. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And so here we learn that God himself is what? perfect. Now you'll notice that Jesus began this verse and said to the Jewish people, be therefore perfect, even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. What Jesus was doing here in the Sermon on the Mount was speaking to Jews who had been taught to trust in the laws of Moses for their perfection. And what Jesus was doing throughout his ministry was pointing out to them that they needed to repent and be saved. The law never meant to get anyone saved. Never. It was never meant for that. And so what he was simply doing was he was pointing out to them, you guys that are trusting in the law, why don't you be perfect like your father in heaven is perfect? Because they knew they weren't perfect. They knew that they failed at keeping the law. They knew they were horrible at it. And at at, at the best of times, they they were sinners. Wow. And so it's a powerful statement. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so we learn that God himself is perfect. What are the four things we've learned now? What's the first thing we learn about God that's perfect? His what? His ways. Secondly, his, his will. Thirdly, his gifts. Fourthly, himself yes himself and so in answering our question about whether the Bible is perfect or not we need to examine the author of the Bible and because the author of the Bible is perfect we may conclude that when God does something and gives something he does it and gives it to the very best of his ability because God doesn't give us some kind of third-rate hand-me-down book when God gave the Bible It was perfect. Does that make sense? That feels good, doesn't it? That feels good to know that our perfect God gave us a perfect Bible. The Bible itself even says in Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is right and all his works are done in truth. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. And of course, our text verse for tonight, Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is what? Perfect, correct. And so we may conclude that God gave us a perfect Bible. But again, the big question is, did God keep the Bible perfect? As it was being copied down year after year, hundred years after hundred years, thousand years after thousand years, copies of the originals, the originals disappeared, copies of copies, copies of copies of copies. copies, Were they still perfect? Did God keep his Bible perfect? For this answer, I think we can find it quickly if we go back to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. I think we'll find the answer in a nutshell in Psalm 12. Now let's read together verses 6 6. And 7 of Psalm 12 verses 6 and 7 read it with me the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times thou shalt keep them O Lord thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever that verse right there tells us that God has preserved his word he has kept his perfect Bible perfect. Say, how did he do it? What did we read in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21? God moved upon the hearts of what kind of men? Holy men. God used holy men. Did you know that a lot of the Bibles that are mass-produced for market today are done by unsaved people? They're, they work for unsaved companies. Did you know that? A lot of the Bibles, the great majority, I think, of the Bibles that are being mass-produced are done so by unsaved people working at unsaved companies. Say, why are they doing it? For a thing called money. That's why they're doing it, I'm sure. Well, how in the world did God keep his Bible pure? And I believe that he used holy men to do it. I believe that God put it into the hearts of holy Jewish men to make meticulous copies of the Old Testament scriptures. I'm sure you've heard this. I'll say it again, that those Old Testament saints, when they came to make a copy of the scriptures, they came trembling at the word of God. They knew that they had a monumental task ahead of them. It wasn't any kind of quick, jiffy, you know, slap, dab, job, bada-bing, bada-boom, there you go, there's your copy of the Scriptures, buddy. That'll be 50 shekels. That's not how they did it. These were professional men who trained to be able to handwrite letters so perfect copying meticulously from one to the next. They knew on any given parchment how many words, how many characters. They knew exactly the number. Each line was numbered. And so they took their time and they made reference, 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 reference. They make the letter. They were so meticulous that when they came to the name of God, they would go wash their pens they would go wash their bodies they would come back and they would reverentially write the name of god it was incredible the length they went to it would take them they say a whole year to make a copy this is a professional scribe this is not you and i you just grab a ballpoint pen and you know write something that looks like a doctor's prescription these men were meticulous in their copies that they made. And when they finished that copy, it cost a lot of money. It cost a man's yearly wage. You think of what a man makes today, what a professional man would make today. Can you imagine you're gonna wanna buy buy a Bible? No problem, that'll be $75,000. $75,000, well, who in their right mind can afford? The king's wealthy man can do that. Maybe a, a whole town could save their money over a period of years, and invest and buy one copy of the scriptures for the whole town. Imagine that. But that's the kind of monumental work we're looking at. And so as they made their copies of the Old Testament scriptures, they did so with with fear and trembling. They came to the scriptures as coming unto God himself. Now, the New Testament church got started, and all of the first believers were Jews. They were all Jewish. Paul, was a meticulous Jew. And so as he was dictating his letters and so on, he made meticulous care. Don't you think he was one of those holy men? Yes? Of course Paul was a holy man. Of course he was. And you can be sure that any letter he wrote or dictated, because his eyes kind of went bad, he made sure that it was absolutely what God told him to write. And then when the copy of the Scriptures was delivered to a church... It's not like today where UPS pulls up to the door and they ring the doorbell, here you are, Stein, here, buddy, Psst, goodbye, have a, have a slice. And we take it and we throw it down, there it is. They handled these things carefully. God put it into their hearts. God put it into the hearts of God's people. For it is God that uh, um, works in our hearts both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Say, how did God keep the, the Bible perfect? He gave us a perfect Bible because he's a perfect God, but how did he keep it perfect? He kept it perfect by putting it into the hearts of his chosen servants to make meticulous copies. And don't think they couldn't do it. They could make a copy so perfect... Now today, boy, you know, we, we play our games. Okay. Everyone take out a piece of paper and a pen and uh, I'm going to tell you something. And then you whisper it to him and he, you know, then you whisper it to him and we'll pass these messages around. It's all through and let's just see how it's changed. And we, we play our games and we try and apply that to the Holy scriptures. Are we insane? God would never allow that. Listen, supposing, I'll use Pastor Deviant as an example, supposing that your life depended on whether you're going to get an absolute perfect copy of this paper, and you have to pass that on and make sure that it gets all the way through, do you think you're going to care enough to do it? If one little letter's out of place, you lose your life. How about that for motivation? Does that sound good? Wow. And so he's going to be looking over your shoulder as you're making a copy of it. You know, he may say, oh, uh, careful with that one. Okay, okay, you got it. All right, go on to the next word. He's going to be so careful because he's motivated. Listen, God is motivated because he wants us to have exactly what he first gave. And so did God give a, a perfect Bible? Of course he did. He wouldn't do anything less. Did God keep the Bible preserved? Well, we read about it there in Psalm 12, verse 7. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now... There are many, many copies of the Old Testament Scriptures, and there are something like 10,000 copies of the New Testament Scriptures. These copies, they're still in existence today, but these are copies and copies of copies. They're still in existence today. Some are entire books. Uh, while others are only partial books. Back in the 1940s, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls was a tremendous victory for Bible believers because the Dead Sea Scrolls verified that what we have today is the same as what they have back then. God preserves His Word. Now, these copies... They've been compared and condensed into two volumes. The Old Testament is called the Masoretic text from the Masoretes, and the New Testament is called the Textus Receptus, which is Latin for the received text. And uh, someone says, well, wait a minute. Well, I know you're talking Hebrew. I know you're talking Greek. uh, But what about English? What about the translation process into English? Could there be errors in translation? Several English translations were made in the 1400s and 1500s, but the greater Christian scholars of the day all recognized that they had translation problems. So in 1604, God made it possible for 47 of the world's greatest Christian linguists. There were scholars beyond belief. They spent seven years together in rendering a faithful English translation that reflected exactly what the Hebrew and Greek had to say. And that is called our King James Bible. Now the Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. you believe that? As God's will for your life, my life, is to live by faith more than by sight. We can only please God by faith, that's what Hebrews says very clearly. We can only please him by faith. Faith is the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. And so you never saw those original manuscripts, did you? you you'll probably never even see the copies of the copies unless maybe you go on Google or something and look up the images, something like that. They're scattered around the world. These things are are kept uh, in libraries, in climate controlled rooms and so on because of their value, but they're out there. They're still with us today. But the just shall live by faith. So what does that mean for us? It means number one, by faith, we believe that God gave us a perfect Bible because he's a perfect God. Number two, God preserved his word and kept it perfect We have a perfect Bible today because he said he would keep it perfect. He said he would keep it preserved and we believe it by faith. I've never held in my hands the copies of these manuscripts. I've seen pictures of them, a few. I've studied them enough, but I've never held them in my hands. I've never even held an original 1611 King James Bible in my hands. I got a copy of it, but am I worried? No, why? Because we got a great big wonderful God. A God who is not only able to give a perfect book, he is able to keep that book preserved all through the generations, after generations, after generations. That's good to know. That's good to know that the Bible you're holding in your hand tonight is a perfect Bible. You're, you're able to open it up and look at its promises and go to God and say, God, I found another one of your promises. I'll tell you a wonderful promise of his. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I can take that promise to the very throne of grace, and I can show that to God, and on the basis of his own word, I can receive forgiveness and cleansing. And the Bible is a wonderful book from God, and it has so many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of promises in there. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we we don't have to bite our fingernails and say, well, I wonder if this one is true or not? I wonder if this is an error or maybe there's something that should have been in there that, that wasn't in, like what about this book of Barnabas, huh? this New Testament book of Barnabas? Eh? And what about this book of Judas? And uh, what about those things? Maybe they should have been included in there. Oh, don't have to worry. Don't have to worry because God in his sovereignty saw to it, folks. We don't have to worry about it. We are his children and he's provided for us. That blessed old book that you hold, man, there's no book like it the just shall live by faith. And that means that God calls upon you and I to trust that what he says in the Bible is not only true, but that the Bible is perfect and is being preserved. He's given us all the proof we need. So we may safely answer our question. Yes, the Bible we hold in our hand tonight is the perfect word of God. But now, beloved, now it was given to us to use. So the natural next question is, are we using it? Does that old book collect dust on the dining room table all through the week? Or are you opening it every day? We have a poster out in the hallway there, big poster. It says, what if we treated our Bibles the way we treat our cell phones? We carried them with us everywhere we went. We kept checking them throughout the day for messages. We spent time reading through them. We searched in them. Not a bad thought. hmm? If this book is so perfect, why aren't we reading it more? Amen? Amen.